0: Unconstitutional constitutional awakening program. start in T-minus 10 seconds. 10, 9, 8,
1: 7,
0: 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. We have ignition. We brought to you by to and
2: And hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Unconstitutional Awakening. Today, I've got Morpheus and Bandit with me, and we have a special guest, Gary Schottier, right? Did I say that right? I apologize if I didn't. Um, he's the writer of, uh, well, he's a, he's a co-editor co- of Markets.Capitalism Capitalism, and he's also an author of very many books, um, Ex-Military, from what I was reading, and much more. In fact, I'm going let him, to let him talk to you yourself.
0: Hey, um, my dad's the ex-military okay. here. Okay, right. uh, there he, was
2: something there
0: that was... Uh, he, was a, he was a vet in World War II in the Pacific. But uh, um, yeah, so I don't know what uh, you or your listeners would, uh, would like to know. Uh, right now, I'm the Associate Dean of the Business School at La Sierra University. Uh, I divide my time, therefore, among, uh, among teaching and writing and being a bureaucrat. My writing has to do with a whole broad range of things in ethics, politics, and law
2: yeah yeah um and you know we i have seen your more your most recent book of course the uh let's see if i can get it pulled up for everyone right here i don't want to be too rude my apologies one thing i i would like
1: to ask is, um i have a trouble breaking through to some people um to you know americanized libertarians that think that Capitalism is a free market, which we know it's not. You know how how would you put it to them simply to explain
0: Well, I guess what I'd say is look around, right, um, and think about any industry that's operating in uh, uh, today's economy here in the U.S. And it seems to me you will find the the mischievous interference of the state. And you'll often find that that mischievous interference serves to prop up some players at the expense of others. Um, and, uh, you know, I think people can get hung up on terms, and I long ago figured out that uh, probably trying to fight battles over the real meaning of a word uh, would just be a, I think, a waste of everybody's time. Uh, in uh, my book, Anarchy and Legal Order, I try to identify maybe five different meanings of the word capitalism, and so I, I don't want to. You know, uh, Mm -hmm. that's just not a hill I'm prepared to die on. But I think a lot of people mean in practical terms, the economic system we've got here right now. And if that's what you mean, look around and we can find ways in which that's anything but a genuinely freed or liberated market. Uh, And uh, the involvement of the state I think is sometimes uh, cast uh, as uh, if it somehow were, uh, you know, just a kind of arbitrary imposition for the benefit of politicians. But I think you have to recognize that at least where there are, as there so often are, uh, well-connected uh, players in different industries, it's not surprising when those players uh, benefit from that state intervention and uh, are often, in one way or another, in cahoots with the, uh, with the state authorities. So um, my bottom line is, if you wonder about whether we're currently living uh, in a society with a genuinely freed market, look around. Very well said.
2: Oh I, I couldn't agree more and that's uh, that's something you know I, I always try to hear people with the argument saying that you know oh capitalism is a is, is the problem and like you know it's just because the modern capitalism that we see is more of a cronyism between like lobbying and you know people just trying to pay their way through government to make sure that they're the only choice there is at the end of the day
0: Well yeah I mean one thing you notice is that there are folks who figure out that, For some people in some circumstances, at any rate, um, political entrepreneurship turns out to be less uh, costly and time consuming than economic entrepreneurship. So they focus their energies on political entrepreneurship, on doing what they need to do to capture the attention and the loyalty of uh, of politicians and uh, uh, to get the uh, rewards that come from that.
2: I, I, I did finally get it worked out over here to pull up the uh, your mo- it, I believe your more recent book, the Understanding Friendship on the,
0: on the Understanding Friendships, the book that I that yeah. just came out most recently. You had the uh, uh, Routledge Handbook of Anarchy and Anarchist Thought, and I'm glad to cheer for that too. Uh, you know. I
2: yeah, no, actually, that 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 uh the route the handbook actually that's the one I was looking at as uh one that I would love to actually purchase next on my list. Actually, I did add it to my purchase list because it's something that I plan on buying here soon. It looks like an interesting book from where I'm sitting.
0: So I, I'm you know thanks for putting up the cover of the friendship book book before we turn to uh, the uh, anarchy handbook. This is a a kind of distant descendant of my PhD dissertation, which I thought was never going to end up in print. And uh, during the uh, enforced inactivity of 2020, uh, I turned back to it and uh, found a publisher for it, and finally got it into print. I'm actually really, really pleased to uh, to see it here. Uh, Friendship is a a subject I've I've thought a lot about over the years that intersects with a lot of other things I'm interested in, and uh, so uh, I'm glad that uh, this book, which has I think a, a great cover is uh, is finally it available.
2: It um, does. I like lo- I like the cover there, and so and so you and you're basically saying that it is covering just the importance of friendship. I guess is.
0: Yeah, so I'm means. looking at several different angles uh, related to friendship. I'm trying to spend some time understanding. You know, what are some some underlying some basic issues related to friendship? Uh, how do we think about friendship in relation to ethics? How do we think about it in relation to politics? How do we think about it in relation to spirituality? It's, you know, um it's an academic book, and uh, even though the topic is a touchy-feely one, it's not written in a particularly touchy-feely way, uh, but I hope it's something that uh, people uh, who are trying to think through issues that uh, are near and dear to not just my heart, but theirs might uh, might find helpful. Uh, and,
2: and I actually like that because, you know, as I uh, mentioned, you know, towards the beginning there, we're, we're, we're all about, you know, trying to promote, you know, bottom unity throughout yeah. friendship basically i mean all all three of us we actually became friends thanks to internet memes and like it's just over time mm-hmm. we came together and you know here we are today doing this and i mean we we literally talk every single day like we are probably these are probably the best dudes i know in existence right now and like we are i consider them my best friends and even family to an extent like they're just they're the best people i know and I, I agree. I think, you know, building friendships in all different ways is great. And I love that we're of all different backgrounds and even ethnicities, believe it or not. And there we just come together to try to spread liberty to everybody else, because I, I don't think it's talked about enough. And talking about well, it I that, getting it done more.
1: I think that shows people what we're talking about. When we talked about the principles of anarchism and non-aggression principles and, and free markets, really in the society that we're in, realistically, where really these people demand this overreaching state, the only re- way we can show them is by example, you know, by by doing things to help other people exist despite our differences of opinion. Um, Absolutely, yeah. And a lot of trigger words scare liberty people, like the word socialism. In a, In a true anarchist society, Forms of socialism would exist. Forms of a lot of isms will exist, and they'll have to exist together in order to have a stateless society be successful, in my opinion. And I would like to get your take on that.
0: So I guess I would say that it has always struck me as a fantasy when people of any ideological persuasion suggest that um, a stateless society would uh, really have a kind of uniform structure and a uniform ideology. Uh, I think that's just, yeah, that's just naive and uh, wildly implausible. Now, obviously, I think there are factors that would tend to encourage you know some convergence over time people have to solve the same problems and situations that have some generic similarities and the actors themselves are going to have in some important ways similar preferences and so forth but don't be surprised at variety and uh uh you know if you don't want a thousand flowers to bloom you're gonna you're in trouble because they, they are they're going to bloom i think uh and you know i think we have to be aware of the fact that you know A stateless society will create space for a lot of social experiments, and some of those social experiments are going to be exciting and some of them are going to be dysfunctional, right? Some of them are going to be uh, perhaps deeply problematic. And, uh, you know, it's easy to imagine the uh, rise of, uh, you know, somebody who really wants to be the next Genghis Khan thinking of uh, a stateless society is just sort of ripe for the for the picking. And, you know, people who want to, you know, engage in various kinds of domination and exclusion and so forth that I think we ought to find deeply troubling. But uh, I think there's no way once we abandon the idea of top down control that we can just rule those out a priori. It's just going to have to be, and even if we do and have uh, a top-down control, you can't rule them out a priori because they could come to take over the top-down structure, right? As, as we know. So, uh, yeah, I think it's just one of those things we have to be prepared to to deal with and to try to uh, uh, respond to with persuasion, and as you've suggested here, with example, example, which can often be the most effective means of persuasion. Uh, sometimes, of course, there you know, if there are actual physical threats, then we have to respond to those, uh, you know, with appropriate defense measures. But uh, mainly, I think the idea of persuasion and especially persuasion in the really effective way that example constitutes something we focus on here today. Uh, definitely that's worth, uh, worth emphasizing.
2: Yeah,
0: that's that's good.
2: Yeah. Um, like I, I I've, you know, I've, I'm seeing with like our conversations and it's a general thing we run into a lot is that like a lot of people always go to the you know, there's always going to be some kind of de facto thing that is going to stand in our, you know, uprise and try to create its own state. And like, like I, I, I always tend to agree, disagree with that because I go away from the every person is violent kind of scenario mm-hmm. because, because a too. lot of people, a lot of people are always just like, well, you know, there, it's just going to be crazy lawlessness and violence. And I'm just like, then I I think you need to sit back and do some looking into yourself (laughs) because like, that's not anything that we're
1: talking about here are inherently good. And if the state was removed, we would come together to solve issues like water and sanitation because it's mutually in all of our benefit, regardless of how we feel about different social issues. There's going to be things that transcend that like medical care and water and i think one of the biggest failures of capitalism is w- water look at that as an example of how turning it into a crony for-profit operation has literally ended lives over water
2: oh, absolutely and i mean they do the same with food in, in a lot of instances too and it's just it's it's ridiculous to let people die for something that's growing on a tree or running down a stream that, you know, they just want to make sure they control. And that's, that's where I think a lot of people, when I try to explain to them, you know, your past book, there, markets, not capitalism, that they're, that they're just always, that when I say the words of the book, half the time, like the title, they're just like, well, wait, that sounds like some, you know, some comedy stuff. And I'm like, you need to chill out for a second and actually read the book. Like it <laughs> right, it, like it, it breaks it work. down for you and explains it to you. And like, it's, it's just, it's, I find it funny. I, in fact, I was talking about your book on a, you know, back and forth on Facebook underneath a Tuttle Twins <laughs> post. And I was just surprised at how many people were just, brandishing away right away and i was like hey maybe you need to take the time and go read this book because you know this guy <laughs> definitely supports the the same things these people are out here trying to talk about the stuff like it we're same team y'all are just uh, making assumptions you know yeah, it's the like, book by it's cover, literally
1: M- mr charlie what do you have any suggestions you know i know you said you you don't want to die on a hill of word meaning because words mean a lot of different things And I think one of the issues in the liberty minded community is people get hung up on these definitions of words. Uh, Do you have any suggestions to like help get around those like word traps when trying to explain these concepts to
0: people? Well, I guess other than, uh, you know. Uh, simply pointing out the pragmatic function of words, uh, kind of you know, pointing out that there's not a, a kind of right answer to the question how all of us in this conversation are going to use a word, uh, and uh, you know if you feel like a particular word really is proving to be a uh, a stumbling point, stumbling block for somebody, then uh, you know suggest a different word. Right? I mean, keep the conversation mm-hmm. going. That's the important thing. Because if you if somebody says you know just repeat well i know what capitalism is and you're not talking about capitalism we go back and forth back and forth right I, you know yeah. that just wastes everybody's time okay fine you know what we're not going to talk about capitalism we're going to talk about such and such a kind of market or you know uh, a cronyish market or whatever the the point is uh uh you know find a way to move past that that terminological block
1: yeah i agree I, that was really well said i i appreciate you addressing that because I think one of the biggest things stopping people from accepting that they don't need a state to live is they tribalize themselves based on words and their associated labels.
2: Right. we, we I've run into it a lot for, you know, a couple of years because, I, I mean, I guess I would consider myself an anarchist, you know, and pe- that, that word scares people right away. And I mean, I right. don't really define myself, but when people start asking me, I just start trying to say things like voluntarism or agroism and stuff like that just to try to or just straight up, just freedom, just the word freedom. I'll use that in place of anarchy all day just because I'm trying to get my message across. And I've found it works in some cases, but at the end of the day, some people are still going to be like, wait, you're talking anarchy. And I'm like, well, yeah. Like
3: <laughs> one, of the, one, of, one of the biggest hurdles you got to break is uh, the public stigma that comes with like the public view uh, currently of what anarchism is. Uh, people who have spent their entire lives, um, in front of a TV, um, being spoon-fed anything is going to be. They're all oh, you're just promoting, you know, complete lawlessness. And the first thing to do is you you got to make people understand what the real meaning of anarchism really is. You yeah,
0: know? and and, and and this, of course, again is one of those uh, one of those cases where if somebody says no, I know what the real meaning is uh you can just have a you know a kind of a spouting contest for the rest of the afternoon yeah, sure. um you know and talk about what people meant. Uh, by that term when they first used it, obviously, they didn't mean chaotic violence. But what's clear is that especially around the, you know, end of the 19th, beginning of the 20th century, um, a lot of critics and just kind of uninformed, fearful people came very instinctively to associate talk about anarchism with talk about chaotic violence. And you understand if if that's what people, uh, people mean. And the point is not to say, Nobody uses the word that way. And it's not to say that there aren't people who have claimed the anarchist label who have behaved badly and who have behaved in ways that have promoted chaotic violence. But I think the, it's it's perfectly reasonable to say, but look, the way I'm going to use the word and just understand that's the way I'm using it. And, uh, you know, if we substituted another word, that would be fine. But I think it's kind of helpful. It's kind of pedagogically useful to use this term, um, you know. Just like a monarchy has, in theory, one ruler, an anarchy has no rulers. You're not talking about the absence of rules. We're talking about the absence of rulers. And, uh, uh, you know, we uh, as an anarchist, I favor social order. I favor bottom-up social order. As an anarchist, I favor law, but I don't favor law imposed from the top down. I I favor a combination of kind of emergent law from the bottom up and consensual law uh, for associations. And uh, I can affirm that uh, I value law. I can affirm that I value order without supposing that there's got to be a ruler. You can have rules without rulers. And it's that mistake that I think helps to keep the state in power.
1: I think you're absolutely right. I think people are uh, under the impression that they can't follow the rules or rules can't be had without a state. And one of my favorite examples to use is, you know, if the state was magically gone tomorrow for sake of argument, people would still want a safe community.
0: People
1: still have some form of community policing it wouldn't just be madness. All these wants that we have of human, of safety, security, and the pursuit of higher education and dreams, all these things will stay the same. The only difference is, is there won't be a state regulating us all the way through it and charging us to do so at the end of the day.
0: No, man, it's going to be some combination of Lord of the Flies and Mad Max. Don't uh, <laughs> don't, don't confuse me on that.
2: So, so that I guess that would bring me to your other book here, this this uh, anarchist handbook. As I guess this is kind of some of the stuff you're covering when you're in doing in that.
0: It's an anarchy handbook, absolutely. So um, that book, the uh, Routledge Handbook of Anarchy and Anarchist Thought. Um, uh, thanks for putting it up there on the screen. Uh, so that brings together, um, you know, you know, about thirty essays. Uh, by scholars from a pretty broad range of disciplines, um, from economics, from history, from law, from philosophy, from religious studies, all trying to understand uh, what we're talking about when we talk about anarchy, what kinds of challenges arise in connection with uh, embracing or implementing the idea of anarchy, and uh, what have uh, anarchist ideas and practices looked like in the past? And so uh, there's uh, you know, some interesting historical stuff talking about uh, uh, the roots of, uh, of anarchism in uh, classical Mediterranean thought, uh, but also stuff related to, uh, you know, the 19th century individualist anarchists uh, to 20th century of, you know figures who were relevant there and so forth. Um, You know, I think uh, you'll find in the book, uh, you know, some really quite interesting philosophical and uh, economic explorations of, you know, the underlying um, sort of mechanisms of. anarchic social order, and, uh, you know, some responses with respect to particular issues that uh, sometimes arise uh, where anarchy is concerned. So, uh, you know, it's not a uh, an exhaustive, comprehensive work, but it is a book that uh, uh, covers a lot of bases related to anarchy and that really tries to um, help folks understand more clearly why anarchy is both a fruitful notion and, uh, and a viable one.
2: And, and, and I believe, you know, putting all of that, like what you just said in one place, that that's a, that's a great thing actually. Cause that, I mean, you yes. can, you can just show so many people this one text now and be like, Hey, check this out. This is yeah. you a bunch of different perspectives in one place. Like, let's talk about it like that. That I am looking forward to this. Like I said, I already
1: One it. of I'm the biggest things we have to get around is the manufactured left, right paradigm in the United States. Yes. They're both right of center. They're both toward, they're not, they're not, there's no difference. And people hate each other over this label. And I think the principles of anarchism, um, are things that if you just didn't call them the principles of anarchism and you brought them up the conversation to people, I think most humans on earth would agree with them.
0: So I think uh, you know I hope that the conversation that's evident in the book is one that um, could typify. Uh, the broader social conversation about anarchism and uh, the nature of interaction in an anarchist society, Uh, because we certainly don't have a uniform uh, viewpoint uh, that's come to expression here. Um, And, uh, you know, obviously there are pieces in this volume that I agree with more than I agree with others, right? That's just the nature of the case. But I'm very glad to have A book that does, in fact, uh, collect a bunch of interesting and thoughtful observations about issues that matter uh, where where anarchy is concerned. And uh, I'm very, very pleased that Routledge was interested in uh, facilitating a conversation about this and really kind of helping people make their way into uh, at least one important form of the contemporary uh, conversation about anarchy.
2: <clears throat> that um, yeah, yeah though that's now now what are you feelings on as much like I guess uh like homesteading and trying to be as self-sufficient as possible in, in that aspect of it like that's something i'm I'm big into myself like i've I've got you know you can ask the guys I've got myself like my own little kind of personal compound going on where I'm I can pretty much do all my own you know food and water at the end of the day when it comes to it, working my <coughs> way, working my way to electricity of course
0: yeah, I mean. So, uh, I don't have anything kind of dogmatic or profound uh, to say there, right? So, I mean, um, I think that one of the things that undoubtedly makes anarchism attractive to me is precisely my sense that indeed um extended social cooperation uh, works and that people uh, through markets, but also through non-market institutions can connect with each other, connect with strangers uh, as well as uh, people <laughs> they know, and as a result, uh, engage in uh, mutually beneficial activities that you know link them with folks across the planet. So I don't think... My vision of of anarchy is a vision of, if you will, of autarky, right, of, of, uh, uh, you know, uh, complete detachment. On the other hand, I absolutely get that as a pragmatic move, uh, you know, the kind of self-sufficiency you've described can be a way of evading the uh, uh, meddlesome authority of the state and also just meddlesome uh, behavior on the part of non-state institutions. And so I'm not at all interested in discouraging that, uh, but I don't have any particular advice for how any particular person should you know, kind of wisely strike the balance between that connection with the, uh, uh, the global economy on the one hand and all that really kind of beautiful uh, social cooperation we can engage in. And on the other hand, uh, uh, kind of creating the safeguards that uh, can uh, help one to avoid uh, finding oneself under the thumb of the state.
2: Yeah. And I, and you know, I think, I think the internet is actually a great tool to do all of what you just said right there, because like it has shown in the private market that you can, you can fund things that you want to fund. You can get access to things that you want to access and such. And I, you know, I've, I'm not completely cut off from society, but I've got a lot of stuff to keep me from having to deal with too much of it because things got wild there, of course, for a couple of years with the whole,
0: you
2: know, and so I took a few extra measures myself, but like I've even got intentions of taking my, you know, meat and stuff that I have extra and going to things like farmer markets and I barter and such with my close, you know, neighbors through the woods and whatnot. That way we can keep somewhat of a system going so that if the current system does just collapse, this road, this road back here is pretty much going to be self-sufficient because these couple houses are going to make sure we've got everything we need to take care of each other, even down to an old well that's tapped out here on the center of the property.
1: And I think a good uh, working example of, you know, some collectivist action uh, in society right now is the dog park. Okay. Everyone goes to the dog park. They're completely different people. Couldn't agree on anything, but everyone respects the rules of the dog park. They pick up their dog's bathroom, you know, they throw it away and they keep the place nice. Now, if we can apply that same concept to our cities, to our small towns, to our society, just imagine what we could do as people. Same concept.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, that's that and then you know that's the kind of that's the kinds of stuff we we're looking for when we're, you know, we're trying to explain anarchy to people. And like like uh Morpheus mentioned there towards the beginning, it's just it's you you have such an elegant way of putting it. It's been it's been an honor sitting here, you know, listening to you putting it so so just professionally like you, you definitely i will say
1: to people that haven't read it the preface of markets not capitalism wow. one of his older works will really help you break down some walls that you've been indoctrinated to believe since you were a child it's not your fault it's we've been indoctrinated to believe certain things since we were in wombs our parents were indoctrinated their parents were indoctrinated The capitalism is a system that its roots are deep in the psyche of the human mind, and you have to detach yourself from that false reality, I believe, to just give yourself a chance of, you know, a different form of living.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I I feel like I have have to say... Uh, Anytime that this comes up, that you know, so much of the best early material, uh, unsigned early material in Markets Not Capitalism, uh, is the work of my co editor, Charles W. Johnson, uh, who is an absolutely uh, brilliant guy. And um, so, uh, you know, the intro, you know, we both worked on the introduction um and uh, so it's not that uh, i want to uh, uh, somehow act as if uh, that wasn't uh, something i had anything to do with but i think uh, uh the most kind of interesting theoretical work in that introduction uh, all i mean is is that's largely charles uh i did uh, rather more pedestrian bits uh so charles just gets a lot of credit for a number of really important pieces in that volume and uh, want to make sure we cheer well you
1: guys working together was a benefit to all of us who have read it
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah well thank you uh yeah. it's it's a great project and uh i'm glad that it's uh, that it's out there um you know and what i think is what i think is really distinctive about that book right is that it It brings together, of course, 19th century literature from the individualist anarchists. It brings together some interesting pieces from the middle of the 20th century, and then it brings together a lot of stuff from the contemporary era that's really uh, reflective of the flowering of, uh, you know, a kind of new wave of individualist anarchism, uh, you know, on the Internet. And uh, it's... uh, a testament, I think, to the way in which uh, the Internet can serve as an interesting, you know, substitute for the, uh, you know, sort of little broadsheets that the individualist anarchists were, you know, sending around in the latter part of the 19th century. Um, there's a complement to that book, and I don't know whether you guys have run across it, that's that's more historical in nature, and that's a book in which we've focused especially on the idea of class i don't know if you have se- seen that i will no, put a no. link i'm going to put a link in the chat and we can we can talk about that uh, if we want to Absolutely. uh give me just a second here to pull that up uh
1: yeah i'm definitely interested in that
0: yeah so here it here it is i've got the link and i will
2: and of course, all links that, uh, that we've shared here today and things we've talked about will be shared, you know, back at the home front of the page below the podcast originally. So all you folks out here at home can gladly easily go back and find all this stuff for yourself.
0: All right. Get away. On
1: yeah, I think, now. you know, I've said this on podcasts we previously recorded, but Gary, I, I think one thing I'm lucky to have experienced in my life is I grew up in Metro Detroit and growing up in Metro Detroit, you learn that it's about the bottom and the top. It's not about the left, right, black, white, purple,
3: (laughs) it's about the ruling class and the rest of us. Can I, uh, I'd like to add something to that. Um, Growing up in a military household and also joining, you know, the military at a young age, uh, it is also about the bottom and the top and that and the rank structure at the top and the lower rank at the bottom. That's all it's about.
0: Yeah, so you know, one thing that I that you know I think can definitely start some conversations when people aren't aware of this, and that's I think just well worth highlighting and something we tried to do in this book. Uh, was to talk about the following, right? That people often will hear language about social class, and especially what matters here, the ruling class, and they will think that that's somehow uh, some sort of weird, uh, scary Marxist innovation. And uh, as soon as you start using that language, they clam up because they they imagine that You know, you're looking for opportunities to, you know, put their heads on a pike. And uh, what we want to highlight here is that the language of class and a kind of class analysis starts out historically as the work, not of of Marx, but of French uh, liberal thinkers like Charles Comte and Charles Dubuyer, among others, and uh, indeed, we find with some interest, we actually use this as, as the kind of opening uh, frontispiece sort of quote for the book. Uh, Marx says explicitly that, yeah, they were the first ones to talk in this way. Now, obviously, there's a difference in terms of how Marx went on to use the language uh, and the concepts that they had developed versus how they used them, right? So that for Marx, uh, it seems, I'm sure this is an oversimplification, but just to, to kind of Focus the conversation a little bit. You might think that, um, you know, for Marx, um, class membership is defined by the by the relationship of different classes to the means of production. For liberal class theory of the kind we're talking about here, class membership is defined by relationship to the state. Now, that doesn't mean that relationship to the state doesn't have implications for relationship to the means of production, because as we know, and this is what we want to highlight here, uh, state action can absolutely... Uh, you know, privilege some actors and disprivilege other actors. It can, uh, you know, specify requirements to participate in a certain industry or profession. Uh, it can shift resources in one way or another through subsidies, through licensing, through cartelization, uh, and so forth. And so it can absolutely affect access to the means of production in all kinds of ways. It's just that what's fundamental, what's constitutive for this model, is the relationship of the state. And so that's really. Really, what we're trying to do. The title of the book is a kind of teaser. Therefore, social class and state power, exploring an alternative radical tradition. Well, what's this alternative? What are what are we talking about? Well, the alternative is the one that defines uh, class membership with relation to uh, to the state. So the class the class is constituted by the uh, uh, the relationship to the state, and that means then that. Uh, you know, there's a different kind of lens. Uh, It's not going to be the case that when we talk about who's in charge, uh, and if that's the focus, the list is, you know, the the analysis is going to look very different, right? Uh, I mean, if you're a Marxist and you're not a fool, I mean, you understand, uh, obviously, the importance of major political players and and, uh, major, uh, you know, say military players, and you understand also that uh, there are certain uh, industries, certain uh, firms that have particularly intimate relationships with those folks, but it's the deep analysis that's going to look uh, that's going to look different there. So uh, um, but what what I wanted, the other thing I want to say about this book is that I really like the form that uh, we take in Markets, Not Capitalism. One of the things that I'm sure has made that book as continually successful as I think it is is. Uh, is that it is full of fairly short, edible, if you will, digestible pieces. And uh, those are indeed the sorts of pieces that showed up in the little kind of broadsheets from the 19th century or in blog posts from the 21st. So social class and state power includes excerpts from pieces going all the way back to at least the 17th century, maybe before, maybe something from the 16th. Anyway, um And those pieces, uh, obviously, are not all as readable and uh, as, uh, you know, a 21st century blog post. And we have some more recent articles uh, that we've excerpted, but those pieces, again, tend to be, uh, you know, a bit uh, sometimes more stuffy and academic and footnoted. So it's, uh, it's a mix of older pieces that are just harder to read because they're not always in a contemporary idiom. And then uh, uh, the newer pieces, some of which are really more academic in nature. So I I encourage people to check out the book. I think it's a really interesting and helpful book that highlights the fact that class analysis of the kind in which we've engaged is not uh, somehow a province just of Marxists, but instead uh, really predated the Marxist and was always, if you will, the property of liberals. It's just that when you take a look, you should also be aware that it's going to require somewhat slower Going than uh, might be needed to uh, to work through markets not capitalism. Excellent.
2: This is and man, this is guys. This has been you know. A- really excellent conversation and i also see that you had one other book that you had sent me that i wanted to touch on real quick before sure we what's start, started wrapping it up your loving cre- loving creation yeah so
0: that's a book that's coming out in september uh, okay. i appreciate you calling attention to it yeah. uh it's uh it's really just a kind of general work uh in uh in ethics and uh, doesn't have as much going on politically uh as uh, the books that we uh i mean even the friendship book hasn't you know, substantial chapter on friendship and politics. Uh, so uh, this one uh, is really, uh, while it has some things that have political implications, it's less less obviously political. As I say, I I work in a variety of different areas uh, and uh, in a number of different disciplines with with overlapping uh, spaces. Right, so uh, that I've. Um, You know, a lot of what I've done in the last few years has been, broadly speaking, in the area of legal philosophy and political theory, Uh, then the some some stuff that's been uh, in ethics, uh, really probably with a primarily philosophical slant, Uh, this book uh, kind of lives in between uh, probably philosophy and theology in looking at uh, at ethics and is really kind of trying to bridge uh, a gap between a so-called ethic of love and an ethic of natural law uh that's going to be of some interest to some people and maybe less so to, to some others uh, but uh, in any case that's uh, that's what's uh, what's going on in that book I, I,
2: um, I mean in reality though you know i mean I, to, to me it sounds like this all, all of this stuff in a sense though still kind of ties all back yeah into it, itself it, 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 the at the end of the day, it all has to
1: be taken in concept together. If you're doing things out of love, you're going to do things that help your community. You're just by doing what you do, by being who you are. Sure. That it all, so it's an important aspect. It's not uh, just about a stateless society. It's about who we are as people, how we treat other human beings and value their lives and their feelings and how they feel. It's how we can evolve society.
2: And I absolutely agree there, Morpheus. That 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 is a great way to put that.
0: Yeah, I think there's definitely a connection. Uh, absolutely.
2: Awesome. Well, this again, guys. This has been this has been an excellent conversation, Gary. I appreciate you coming on. You know, thank uh, you very much for coming. I, I, I hope maybe again we can have you on again sometime to talk some more because this has been really good. Like I, I I do hope you guys get out there and check out his books. Does anybody have any closing thoughts or things they'd like to say? Just thanks for coming on.
1: So the aside, show.
3: aside from internet aside from internet problems, I was just here to learn because uh out of this whole group, I'm kind of the newcomer. So I'm just here to learn right now.
0: Well, thanks for being part of the conversation. Uh and uh offering the observations that you did i uh absolutely am happy to talk with you guys again Uh, maybe we can have uh at your convenience some email exchanges about topics that it might be worth exploring and uh we can uh yeah absolutely
1: Absolutely. and i know a lot of our page followers because this all started as like a meme page that's grown into actual writings and news and philosophy and uh, a lot of our, our followers are going to be aware of who you are, and they're going to be very pleased that you stopped by. So we thanks again.
0: Well, thank you very much for those gracious words, and uh, let's talk again.
2: Yes, sir. Have a great yes, day, sir. guys. Everyone have a great day, and we'll see you next time on Unconstitutional Awakening.
0: Have thank a you. good day.